Mother's looking for you. Hey. I dreamed that I was old. Well, the good news is you can start the episode with Bronson this week. The Dornishman's wife. For I have tasted the Dornishman's Oh, God. <laughs> oh no 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 oh my oh, is it oh my. oh oh my oh my which is prison Donishman's wife listens to our show Well they say what goes around comes around Welcome Welcome to Game of Owns Thank you for choosing us Thank you for listening Thank you Thank you Thank you We're very grateful it is important for us to show our gratitude and I feel very grateful at the moment, not only to the listeners who are tuning in uh, so soon after our most recent episode or so soon after watching this episode, but my Oof. gratitude this week comes to the showrunners for cranking out an episode that from front to back uh, really, for me, worked. And uh, <laughs> this is this is coming off of what I felt was a, was a more a little bit trepidous uh a little, little, little more difficult episode last week, but but it's back, guys, and uh, I, I enjoyed every minute of this week's episode. I don't know about you. We are glad that you're here, as per usual, excluding last week, after travels that we discussed in our episode posted this weekend. This is our recording. We're meeting together after the airing of this seventh episode in the fifth season of HBO's Game of Thrones. Very formal. The mm-hmm. gift, and I felt like it was a gift to all of us. And all and of who the... knew it was Tyrion all along. That son <laughs> of a bitch. That's, That's right. I am the gift. Bitch. Micah has been tweeting up a storm. Mm. Some home run hits. The community yeah. is thriving. It's good to be here. Feels good. It is. I feel great. There were a lot of gifts in this episode. Gifts given. Gifts uh, mentioned. I have a gift for you. Pretty much everybody either said they had a gift or gave a gift in this episode. And funnily enough, I don't think we've really seen, I don't think really, really got to see the gift, meaning the geographic location, uh, except when we were inside that tent with Stannis. So it's a bit funny and it just proves how clever uh, the showrunners are with their, with their words. With it's their a nice titles. tie-in of wordplay for us mm-hmm. book faithful, for us really story faithful. I, I feel very, very zen with all that's happened and to directly reference the the moment of with Stannis and Davos and the tents and really all of the scenes at the wall. I think that this could kind of blanket our discussion and just keep it in the background of your minds for this episode and for the episodes following winter is officially coming and it's coming hard. I don't feel that this is just a one-off storm. I feel that and it's not just the stark words. Right. But also, you know, think think about over a year ago when the season was being craft and script form, the people in charge knew in the latter parts of this next season, and this was before the, the Mountain and the Viper episodes, you know, the latter episodes of season four had even aired, winter will be coming. Mm-hmm. So we have to know that the winds of winter, the sixth book in the series, is coming. Everything is moving toward us. And just like mm-hmm. this season has sort of just crept on us. You guys are listening right now to the seventh 
episode that we're diving into on this podcast. And if you've been with us for a very long time, you know how this long road has led and where it's gone and how interesting it's been along the way. And you know how the buildup for even reaching the, this fifth season was an arduous journey. But we're now in the seventh episode, and winter is coming. It is a bit scary how far along we are, but I, I, I like the idea that wow. uh, the storm that we saw in this episode won't stop. It can't stop. It won't stop. That every scene set in the north will have snow falling of some sort from now until until the end, until winter's over. I'd like, I'd like very much for that to, to be a thing. And Stannis points out, we don't know how long it's going to be. You know, there's that great conversation between him and Davos that Davos doesn't seem too happy with uh, mm-hmm. in terms of what Stannis decides to do. But he points out, if we go back and tuck our tails between our legs and go live at the wall, we're going to be living there for the foreseeable future. Yeah. We don't know how long winter is going to be. Well, winter there. Yeah. Exactly. And I, I did really like how... They produced all these different locations that we saw in this particular episode, the wall, Stannis, uh, his encampment, then Brienne looking out towards Winterfell, yeah, and then Winterfell itself. It was snowing in, in all of those areas, and you get the sense that these are no longer just words that are being uttered, or they're not the words of House Stark solely, that winter is actually coming, and we know what comes with it. And Stannis in particular needs to march south or in whatever direction he is, I just figure South is the one that uh, makes the most sense uh, towards Winterfell, because if he doesn't, he's going to get trapped in between. And from what we saw, what was going <laughs> on outside, things can start to fall apart very quickly. He already had swords abandon him. Yeah. yeah Stormcrows left. He's, uh, those bastards. You know, <laughs> well, they, they fight about... for gold. Yeah, they fight for gold. And I don't know if that dried up, like all the food or the horses. I think at some point you have to just look in the sky and know what is happening. And I think Melisandre's reference toward this long night and knowing that it's been such a long time and knowing all that's happening. If we're familiar with the story, if you're listening and you don't follow along with our analysis of the books, I think even the feeling of all this mounting anticipation and pressure is, is very clear to what the show has done to this point. And I think that it's very clear that our characters in the series, at least the, the key characters are also familiar with all that's happening. And it makes me think of not only this season, but it makes me think of, of the buildup that has led to this point. And I feel like I just want to zoom out and see where season five fits in with the whole arc of how this is happening. And, and it reminds me so much of what you said, Eric, I think in a handful of episodes ago, you said this reminded you so much of season two and how it kind of built up to Blackwater and set up yeah. the falling of three and four. And mm-hmm. I feel like that's very clearly sort of, I mean, obviously it's not the same mold because the stories are so different, but yeah. I feel like it's very clearly on a, track that's reminiscent of all that happening and it's Mm -hmm. exciting because we're not just going into seeing what the fallout from the war of the five kings will be we're moving into something that the planet this planetos is is putting into effect and that is all of these great powers coming to a head above men not only men but what has led all of these directions to where they are now so it's just it's uh, it's 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 heavy yeah, Micah, Micah mentioned uh, Stannis being trapped. I mean, in many ways he is, he is or stuck. In many ways he is stuck. Um, you know, and and Ramsey points that out too. He means, of course, just to the storm. But uh, what we when we did see the inside of of Stannis, um, his encampment, his his tent, sort of the problems he's working through. Another way that he's stuck is, of course, with Melisandre, who's demanding 
more blood, specifically his blood. And, you know, we've seen some Papa Stannis, uh, Stannis the Manus, Stannis the Grammar Manus. We've endeared ourselves to him uh, recently. And one of his great scenes this season, of course, was between him and uh, Shireen. And uh, his his great proud father moment, or his father moment, where he talked about all the uh, trouble that he went through to basically preserve his daughter's life. And now Melisandre has tried to tempt him into killing her. And it's, it's well, sacrifice, or however she would put it to make it sound a little sweeter. It was not clear, right? What did you yeah, think? Yeah, I, I think that... A mere leech won't do, and he asked, I think, for, for such. He asked for a, some sort of leeway, some sort of, you know, half-step, I guess. But uh, Melisandre wasn't hearing it, and then he wasn't hearing it from her. So that was quite nice. It was a lover's quarrel. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he touched her lower back, I saw that, which was a sweet move from Stannis. He's definitely grown a little bit warm in this impending winter, which is kind of interesting. But yeah, uh, I thought that Shireen would have a larger role to play and being more than just a calf for slaughter as sacrifice to the Red God when she was put in this direction to come with them so vehemently. Mm -hmm. But it appears that that's all that Melisandre is interested in, possibly. Again, she wasn't very clear. And honestly, there was a lot of moments like that in this episode that have left me sort of guessing. And I'm curious. I have a lot of questions, too, because what does sacrificing Shireen ultimately provide Stannis with because if we look to history as any example they haven't used blood sacrifice to really you know in terms of actually sacrificing a human being to achieve an end yeah they took blood from Gendry and used it in these leeches and supposedly if you're to believe it that is what inevitably ended up killing Rob and Joffrey and the others that claim oh, to be king. So you know, we saw Mance be burned at the stake, but again, what did that achieve outside of just removing the head of the wildlings? Right. It, it, I, I've yet to see proof that this actually, there's cause and effect. You know, it, it right now it just seems like she's a crazy woman who likes to burn people alive. Well, we can't forget what she's done, though. Yeah. Well, I, I know what she did to Renly. Yeah, but that can't be ignored. That was a well. Well, that's a being from her body. I mean, yeah, that we, that is something. That's we something learned else. about her about her showmanship in the last season, and that makes right. me guess that what she did with the leeches could have just been a safe gamble. If she were to say, "I could do this now to keep him pleased for this moment," and Quite possibly the guys that are the heads of all of these different warring factions will at some point in the near future meet their demise because they're all warring and probability mm -hmm. leads this to be something that happens. I felt like that could have been a ruse that worked out well in her favor. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. it, just like we, we, we referenced throughout this podcast over the years, it's easy to get distracted by reality, but you have to think about things like the White Walkers and things like what she did in the second season that have been implanted along the series that are kind of like a trump card to say, don't assume that reality is all that it is because mm. literally the right time and the right efforts can birth a shadow assassin to kill someone. <laughs> it's easy for her to say, uh, to look at the outcome of the Blackwater 
and say, oh, my king, that's because, you know, or say to Davos, that's because you didn't let me let he you didn't let him take me along. You know, it's very easy for her after the fact or even as you mentioned, Zach, you know, safely betting on the result and sort of working her uh, parlor tricks around it. But there are some things, of course, those those trump cards, as you call them, uh, those moments where we don't know what the answer is and we don't know how it can affect things. I mean, if Shireen has to be sacrificed, Stannis loses not technically an heir, but his his really his only blood. And and that's a real problem. It is. I just want to be careful because we saw a hall of faces in the last episode. And we saw <laughs> a kingdom in the north in the last season. And we saw saw a shadow assassin in the second season. And we've seen and all dragons. these things. Exactly. And we saw the ruins of Valyria, which are rooted in history, obviously, but then we saw a dragon flying over them. So it's like yeah. where do we where do we draw the line? Where do we assume that this is just a thing that couldn't lead to something? And where do we start to grow actual fear for what this could mean? It's hard. I know. It it, it is hard because you wonder how much is actually based in truth. And you mentioned the scene that we saw last season with Melisandre, which he's talking about how she can use certain potions to basically play tricks on the mind. And Mm -hmm. I just have a hard time believing that by taking the blood of the king and putting it inside of a leech and popping it on a fire that that ultimately led to Roose Bolton betraying Rob Stark right. and to Olena Terrell and Peter Baelish planning the death of Joffrey Baratheon and Balin Greyjoy in the books, which we've read to this point, falling off a, a bridge, a nice rope bridge. And, 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 you know, Renly, obviously we, we saw what we wanted to see, but again, was it another trick? Was it was it really magic? It's a or nice was, trick. Yeah. It, so, it, I, I think it it relates to how magic plays a role in this series, or there's something out there that we've yet to understand, uh, yet to gain the knowledge of. And I agree with Zach that there are all these other things going on. So why couldn't there be truth in what Melisandre is doing? The the tough part of it is there's no real way to explain it. And that's what leads to the indecision. I just want to remind everyone that's followed along with us this far. There is a a man in the north that rides a massive, beautiful elk that can speak English. So Wait, the elk can speak English? Well, I don't know, actually. I never asked. <laughs> That'd that's be pretty question. cool. We'll yeah. revisit that topic in the off season. <laughs> yeah, I, I wonder. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot we got there in the book. That's I thought cool. we were going to see him at the start of the episode when they were showing that horse. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then I realized we were at Castle Black. No, I mean, uh, this, that this uh, continuing from what we were saying, there is a, there is a great uh, point in uh, to make of, of faith and about the people who have faith. And faith, of course, I'm talking about uh, the red stuff with Melisandre and whether, whether or not Stannis um, has to have blind faith or should, except it seems like he's kind of going about things the way that he knows that he's done before, which is great. He's relying on more of the old school way of getting things done. Um, hopefully he's not wrong in doing so. But in a broader sense, of course, faith was almost all that was talked about this episode. Um, you know, especially in King's Landing, faith uh, is is a big part of the world now that d- dragons have, have sort of, uh, they're still there, of course, uh, but they're they're biding their time. We did. 
We were inside of the Sept of Baylor. Oh my gosh, we were beneath it. How cool is that? That too. Man, I've been waiting for this episode for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Which part? Have Which you? part were you waiting for? The the sparring between the High Sparrow and Lady Olena? Or no, the end oh, of the episode. That was oh, okay. Too. Yeah, that, yeah, that was powerful. That was quite a way to end the episode. I think that there was a an exhalation of breath for people that aren't quite fans of Cersei, but it's hard it's hard to be against her in so many different ways. As the in show... that situation, yeah, you almost feel for her. <sighs> what what was your initial thought when you saw her go into that room after having spoken with Marjorie and she's in there alone with the High Sparrow? Could you sense that? Something mm-hmm. was going to happen. Did you see Jonathan Price's face? <laughs> yeah. I've never seen him look that stern. Or was it just because there was seven minutes left in the episode and you, there had to <laughs> be a cliffhanger? had to be coming. a cliffhanger. Um, no, no, no. Look, they did a really good job, I think, of, of well, hiding the guards. You know, he wasn't surrounded by people. They brought people in. Um, it's it's important to note that, that Cerse, where Cersei was, like, she's beneath the Sept of Baylor. There's no easy way out. There are black cells down there. And each room is, I mean, even the the rooms that aren't specifically cells are cells. It would be hard to get out. And she's willingly walked down there, basically strutted herself down there um, under the pretense of providing food and whatever small talk Marjorie might enjoy. And basically uh, waltzed her ass into her own undoing, which is what she's been doing. We were uh, so happy to point it out last episode, too. Slowly, she's just really putting this the seeds in, in or putting the wheel in, in motion for her own demise, which we finally are starting to see actually happen. And you're right. I don't know how I feel about it now. Do we want this to happen? Do we want her to just be completely uh, ruined? Because Listen, then, if the king can't stop it, Eric, uh, I don't think that we can. Who, either. Who can we who can we root for now? Who's in charge? Is it Tommen? Because I don't know about that guy, guys. Well, he's all alone now. He has nobody to really turn to for any sort of counsel or advice. And you have I'm to wonder, though, based on what the High Sparrow may know about Cersei, what his reaction to somebody like Tommen being king is going to be. Could Tommen mm-hmm. actually be in a position of danger now? if it's believed that Cersei and Jamie are his parents. Clearly we're headed in a direction where all of the leadership in King's Landing is in question. Yeah, I mean, I, I would struggle to guess who the High Sparrow would expect to be the rightful king in in lieu of, like, in the event of they choosing to unseat Tommen. I have an opinion on the matter. Yeah. His name is Stannis Baratheon, first of his name, the <laughs> one true king of the Andals. Yeah, I wonder, like, Stannis and the High Sparrow in a room. I mean, <laughs> can you imagine? Yeah, the High Sparrow would bow, and he would say, you are a great man, except that you betted with a red priestess, and that that cannot go oh. unpunished. But mm. perhaps in the face of all this other buggery that's happening in King's Landing, I could turn a blind eye. Yeah, no, and, and you know, Tommen, uh, we mentioned how in the last episode, of course, he, he did not raise more than a hand to try and get Marjorie back. And it was extremely interesting to see uh, the scene between him and Cersei, uh, you know, where he kind of, where she volunteers to go and do it, you know, try and help him for him. But I think uh, when it's not easy to gain audience with the High Sparrow, or it wasn't easy for Tommen to do so. I do love regarding the High Sparrow's character that when Lady Olena does gain audience with him, he is kind of once again on his on actually doing some hard labor. Um, you know, he he is a character who has this other side 
where he's ruthless and can turn on the person who put him in power. You know, he doesn't have an allegiance towards Cersei at all. But at the same time, he does seem to be rooted in this religious belief that everyone is equal, that he is sort of a simple uh, servant. And I just, I really liked that, again, this was Jonathan Price's episode, and a lot happened, but this really was his episode to see him on his knees working on whatever he was working on beneath the floor of the Sept of Baylor before he complained about it, um, you know, later in the episode. It's just, it's it was really cool. Yeah. Lady Olena doesn't even recognize him when she walks in, <laughs> and uh, she almost has to catch herself when she realizes that it's it, it's the High Sparrow that she's speaking to, and... yeah. I yeah. love the exchange between the two of them. I said on Twitter earlier this evening that it was better than the fight between uh, <laughs> Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao because just the no hugging verbal involved. sparring. Yeah, no hu- no hugging. <laughs> uh, the verbal sparring going on between the two of them was just great to watch. It was such an awesome exchange, and you know, uh, Jonathan Price and uh, Diana Rigg did an amazing job in that scene. That was excellent. And you could tell that she felt uh, a little bit put back on her heels because he wasn't going to just, you know, release her lay down for whatever, uh, you know, she was willing to throw at him. And I think she even tried to buy him off at one point and he (laughs) wasn't having any of it. She threatened withholding food and all the, and then she could explain exactly why people are starving to death. And he didn't really miss a beat. He was not intimidated. He doesn't falter, which is, honorable in a sense to see him even uh, in front of someone as connected as she is and just to be so blindly resolute and the reason for all that he's done which is all of the texts that are associated with the seven pointed star and the faith of the seven and he will not he will not falter for nothing can i just say i really enjoyed the comparison of scenes with her talking to the High Sparrow, and then her talking in the destroyed brothel to yes. Baelish. That was excellent. Very cool. It was so well done. And yep. those two are married at the hip, even though they're not officially married. <laughs> For me, and it's the She throws it right in his face. <laughs> she basically tells him, look, if any go shit down, goes down, down. Yeah. and if you try and kill me right here and now, People are going to know what you're responsible for. So I guarantee there are others out there that are close to Elena that may have this information. Maybe it's not open information. Maybe it's sealed information. But she seems like a woman who protects herself. And I think Baelish knows that. I think he, in a way, has met his match. I still think... He is the ultimate puppet master at this he point. He is the Frank Underwood of Westeros, right? Now. <laughs> yes, quite I saw a that wild card tweet as well. As well. What are his motivations? That sort of thing. He is How about that line in this game? Together we murdered a king. Yeah. Mm. That that was said out loud in this episode. Yeah. But there's nobody cathartic. I'm so glad because moments before I was just thinking, holy crap, these people are in a room. Together they murdered a king. And then she said it, and it was amazing. That's a big deal. This is the leader of the Seven Kingdoms, essentially. I mean, there's a, a council of people behind leadership, but at the same time, that was quite a feat, especially where it happened. And I would hazard us to forget that. Perhaps it's also foreshadowing. I mean, if, if these two people sitting in this room could do it, why couldn't uh, this religious you know, fanatic order uh, or or anyone else for that matter. I mean, how vulnerable are the people who are in power? Well, there's got to be a knee to their rise 
You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? If this were on a, a chart or a graph, there's got to be some kind of a of a of a slouch to this because they, with the help of Cersei Lannister, her her in, initiative obviously gave the spark to this rise. But there's mm-hmm. at some point, and I'm not sure if we'll we'll be able to see it in the season because it, it's clearly pointed to the direction of how it's affecting our characters in a negative way for them personally. We saw right. Jonathan Price's face in this episode, and he looked angry at Cersei and he looked like he was yeah. ready after all this time to divvy out the Lancel story Sansel Lancel came in very dramatically at the perfect time like he was waiting outside of the door to really unveil this perfectly and I, he just felt to me in, incredibly comfortable in his charge and I'd like to know if we're going to see this level off or if we're going to see it change for them and how and I, I'm, I'm curious as to what it will take for this to happen because even even now, with as much as been done, I don't feel like this is the end all be all. I Tommen is still king, and I feel like he can he can make things happen if he steps up and and does them. I, I know Joffrey wouldn't have allowed something like this to happen under his watch, but at this point, it's hard to say because so many people are gone that would help him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we haven't seen like Tom. To your point, Tommen's relationship with his Kingsguard. Like maybe if he were to command them to do something, and they're like, uh, technically, we well, like I know we're supposed to technically take orders to you, but I feel a lot more comfortable if your mom was giving her orders the way she's <laughs> been giving his orders the last few months. Like, could you just get her and be like? I believe we're meant to think that they're rather useless right now at this. Well, point. I mean, yeah, that's uh, yeah, and certainly, certainly they're not as uh, ruthless as the as the faith militant um but uh what i wanted to say regarding lancel um was that i'm curious as to how and when he divulged that story i feel like it would have been and i think he said at the maybe the first episode after rewatch like that that he would have had to have uh, explained or come clean about that as part of purging his soul exactly in this episode in this episode the high sparrow says like Oh, he had so much on his soul that now that he got rid of it, he flies higher than the seven, like in heaven. He'll like his soul is well so light. Yeah, that was great. He floats above. But I'm wondering because Baelish told Lady Olena in the brothel, like, oh, I have information for you. Like, it's a boy. Here's a gift. One of the gifts that was given was apparently the name of Lancel. Was it somebody else? Because for me, I'm thinking, well, no, then it was, what? Did, did it was Lady Lancel. O- but then, but did Lady Olena then have to go and bribe him into telling his story? Because I feel like that's something he already would no, have done. No, what I think happened, and maybe I'm wrong here. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know. But yeah, I would think that it's a story that the High Sparrow probably heard when Lancel first came to him. Yes, and it was then time for Olena to go to the High Sparrow and say, "I know." this to be true and you're taking action against my family for these improprieties you should be doing the same if it's said that the faith judges all equally Mm -hmm. you now need to do this to cersei so in the scene that we saw between lady olena and the high sparrow she didn't have that ammo but she would no because she had yet to meet with bell yeah but she would have gone back to him with that info i I think so in in or they corresponded in in mm-hmm. some way, or or this information was brought to light in some capacity, you know that line was so powerful when he says, "What will we find when we strip away your finery?" Mm. And you just knew in that moment that she was had oh, done. and done. I always hearken back to this, and I'm going to do it again on this episode. But not only has Cersei put herself in a bad position this season, she's put Tommen in an even worse position because 
if you think about it, during that conversation with Baelish, she did two things. She said that her uncle was basically a pussy and worth nothing, <laughs> and that Jamie was on this mission that took him out of King's Landing. So in that moment, Baelish was aware of the fact that Kevin Lannister was nowhere to be found, and Jamie Lannister was nowhere to be found. Exactly. And it was a perfect opportunity for him to continue to pull the strings, knowing that those that would protect Cersei, because she's their family, were nowhere to be found. And mm. even Marin Trent of the Kingsguard is off in Bravos. Oh, gosh. So she has alienated anybody who would look to protect her. And now, who would protect Tommen? Meanwhile, the High Sparrow had learned about Cersei Lannister at the beginning of Lancel's courtship with his order. So even before Cersei went to meet with him, you got to know that he had heard stories. He had heard tale. He had heard firsthand account from someone that has been established within his order, robe and all, haircut and all, before she'd even met him. Facial incisions and all. <laughs> Body this was building a, and all. I had to yeah. add like a fourth thing to your, your... It's just the list that grows. Lancel's devoted... Absolutely, and he knew this, and it was a slow burn, and he played the long game, and he waited until what he felt was the right moment. Was it too soon? I'm not sure. He let her get a last-minute conversation in with Marjorie, the queen, in before yeah. he made his move, but his move was made, and now we have two queens within yards of one another in cells. Can Jeez. I just say they could have they could have gone one further? They really could have by putting them both in the same cell. Oh man, that <laughs> the way the rough. the way the camera was shot, it looked like Cersei would look back, and in the corner there would be Marjorie waiting to tear her eyes out. Like, I I I mean I understand why they wouldn't do that. Those characters, I'm sure, will get to fight each other in the future. But I mean, just the idea of those two sharing a black cell. You could almost set an entire Game of Thrones episode in that. She got in, in a, a bottle episode shot there, though, to the Silent yeah. Sisters when she told them that was very powerful. The last face you're oh, going to see yeah. before you die. Okay, yeah. that's the Cersei that I think has been. That's the unhidden Cersei. This is this is Cersei not being uh, courteous or the way she's supposed to be. That's her raw. That's raw Cersei right there. And I liked it. I like seeing it. When she was telling Tom and she'd burn cities to the ground to protect him. <laughs> yeah, and, and she had that, happy. the tears nice. going down. It was it was really quite good, uh quite a good performance. It was an excellent yeah. performance. And I felt the emotion, I felt her connection, and I felt sad in a way. I mean sad. Mm -hmm. I felt sad that to know that all these people that have been around her have fallen. Not only her children, but everything. And uh even Tyrion's gone. So it's just, it's a dangerous situation in King's Landing, and it has not disappointed over the course of this season. After as much majesty that we've seen, I mean, it was only last season that a magnificent royal wedding of epic proportions, one of which I'm excited to reach in the books because I know that it's explained on, on a very heightened level, a la premier George R. R. Martin fashion, was just happening. And to see it now be here, it, it paints a very vivid image of how tenuous power is and how how easily it can be shaken but here we are revisiting conversations and visiting conversations of people like Baelish and Olenna Tyrell the king killers the king slayers together in a broken down brothel discussing what will be done next and I am incredibly curious for what this handsome young man turns out to be. Who it is, I have no idea. I would love to have gotten a few more hints, but I feel like we'll know soon, hopefully. 
Hopefully. I, I feel bad for Tommen. I mean, I think the, there's, there should be ways of removing him from power without taking his life, and perhaps he'll be used as a result of, you know, in a way to get back at Cersei further. Maybe Olena would... I mean, I, I'm not sure what Olena would do. I, I think that she knows that Tommen is more of a... I would say pushover, but like just a, a figure, you know, just a sort of pawn in, in, in all of this. For the fact that he he's the king... Uh, it, it's still, it would be nice. I hope that he can just get away, maybe relinquish his own control, maybe join the wall, be Ollie's best friend. Ollie could use a friend, am really? I right? They could be pals. They could be pals. Ollie could really use a friend for how often, well, actually his best friend right now is the camera, uh, zooming yes. in. Yes. Uh, but, uh, directly onto him, but, uh, but no, Tommen, I, I just, I, I worry about Tommen, like, yeah, do whatever you want with Cersei, it'll be awesome to watch, but Tommen, I'd be uncomfortable if he died. Okay, Eric, this makes me curious, I was just thinking about what you were saying, because immediately after I talked about who the handsome young man could be, you were talking about Tommen, and I was like, maybe mm-hmm. Baelish is delivering Tommen even more so into the hands of the Tyrells, uh, then I got to thinking, who else could have replaced him, what if it, what if Gendry was, was found by yeah. Baelish, and this is the handsome young man, and he's like, listen, we have a true-born Baratheon here, and oh, Tommen can't be king anymore because uh, uh, the 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 Faith Militant are in charge, but they can approve of a king like this. He's That's still exciting. rowing, though. Don't you know right. that? He's still right, rowing. What if he's not rowing any longer? Mm-hmm. I don't Maybe know. He made I it back know. to King's Landing. I yeah, think I he think, sailed to the. You veil. think it's a red herring then that they want you to think that it's Lancel, but it's really not. I don't think that it's Lancel at all. I di- I didn't get that. I I don't believe. I mean, I guess that would make sense. Because, like, they should have already known about Lance. Like, they should have already just been I waiting. I think that, yeah, I believe that he knew that the entire time because because the High Sparrow clearly said that when he came to him, he was stripping away and telling him of his sins. I think that was something he knew and was plotting with Cersei all along. I may be completely off base here, and I may be, may be reaching, but I don't think that that's what was meant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my thir- first thought went to Gendry as well. Uh, when when I was watching the show, and uh, I I think it would be really cool, to your point, Zach, if he somehow played into all of this because we haven't seen him for a while. You know, he's he's building up those biceps, rowing out on Blackwater Bay. <laughs> it's it's wishful and thinking. Bravos. But I I don't I can't I'm I'm racking my brain to think of who has been cast as a handsome young man that has made any impact in the series thus far, and just by process of elimination, that's where my mind went. Um, Azad and Jijikian made a really great comic. He does the comic of Ice and Fire, and uh, it's been posted on Watchers. But he made a really great comic about the uh, the Doran uh, storyline so far this past week. And uh, at the very end of his comic, not to give any anything away, there's a, a great um, slide of Gendry, and he's incredibly buff, and he has a massive head, head of hair and beard now. And he's like, hey! <laughs> <laughs> he's, so, yeah. That was fun. So if if he is found, well, that you know really cool. that might be a perfect uh, tie. You mentioned, of course, the Dorn storyline, and I really feel like that was picked. That was a pickup. That was a pickup. This was this was picked up. This was something I really liked it to this episode too. Yeah, huge improvement uh, over <laughs> everything that we've seen. Although, uh, still no Prince Doran, and, and that this was is, disappointing. 
minor, minor complaint because a lot of Doran, I know we're going to talk about it, but I, I'm still a little surprised. I don't know if they're trying to paint him as like an absentee prince uh, because by now you'd think he would have. Uh, clearly he stepped in to say that Jamie should get the nicer looking cell and Bronn should be sent to torture the Sand Snakes with his voice. But, uh, you know, besides <laughs> that, fair. we haven't uh, we haven't uh, seen any if of If by Doran. torture you mean serenade. Yeah, 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 serenade yeah, completely. Serenade. Yeah, mm-hmm. beautiful vibrato. That I loved it. Was amazing. So Jamie and his daughter have a heart to heart, and it was yeah. shorter than I would have hoped. Yeah, it's like I love Prince Tristan, or yeah, I love Tristan. You don't know me. I'm gonna leave. Um, that was a burn. But they've established that she's been there for a few years, so we can sort of yeah. chart that course between season two and now, and that's that's cool. And yeah. I'm sure you would have uh, felt that over time she would begin to resent her own family or be like at, at the beginning she would feel, you know, sent off all on her own. She would feel betrayed or you know in some way uh, upset with her situation, and when she finds love and begins to learn this culture and appreciate it and warm to it, she's going to grow to resent people like, you know, Jamie, who stood by and watched her go off. So I, I don't know. It's classic sort of, I don't want to say hostage syndrome, but well, I, I, I he really didn't really like stand by because he wasn't there. He but, wasn't there. Yeah. yeah, it's not fair. And it wasn't uh, fair really for her to blame Cersei because Tyrion was the one responsible for sending her yeah. to Dorne in the first place. We get that powerful moment between Cersei and Tyrion when this happened and we also got sort of another reference to her love for her children in this episode. So it really was very sort of poetically unfair to hear her speaking about Cersei in this way. But it was also a reminder that she's been able to have this sort of charmed existence the entire time that up North there has been strife and she's been allowed to, to grow in this peaceful place with uh, a comfortable setting and good weather. So at the same time, you can't, you no can't snow. hope. Yeah, you can't, but you can't blame her for feeling the way that she feels in this situation. I just wish this scene would have lasted longer because it's it's one of those great moments where you see characters like when we saw Daenerys see Tyrion in this episode, which I'm screaming oh, about on the inside. But it's those moments when characters meet and you're just like talk some, and 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 this is a this is a big deal to us. When Melisandre saw Arya, and the list goes on. When these face to faces happen, face to face moments happen, and uh, it hasn't happened. You remember when Jamie finally made it back to King's Landing after all that time, and we were just kind of on the edge of our seats. Like you've been through a lot, yeah. buddy. You lost a hand. <sighs> how are you going to react to everything? That's sort of how I felt here when he was speaking to Marcella for the first time. It was cut short. Uh, she stormed away, um, mm-hmm. but. It, it was a bit of a father teenage daughter moment where she just uh wasn't wanting to hear what her uncle slash father had to say and she has every right to feel the way that she does. She's been in Dorne as mentioned for the last several years and it's all she really knows. It's what she's grown up with and she feels probably in some way abandoned by her family, but she's come to really care for Tristan and to probably enjoy the company of the Martells. And why should she want to go anywhere else? She knows that it's a war-torn country, and King's Landing is probably the worst place for her to be right now. Yeah, it's true. She's what's safer even, in Dorne. What's he even taking her back to? Yeah, Tommen should just go to Dorne. And, uh, <laughs> maybe they should just set him up there. You know, I, I, I feel like uh, the way the scene began with Arya Hota coming in and saying, you know, this should... Uh, Fix this should solve any of your concerns about her well-being. 
uh, made it seem like he had made a case for trying to see her. You know, like he had made a case to to make sure she was all right. But again, it speaks towards like a Prince Doran who's who's not been shown, which is interesting. But at the same time, uh, the whole fact that she wasn't there, that they were able to have this heart to heart. And the fact that they gave Jamie a nicer cell than Bronn, they're just like, oh, Bronn's just a cell sort. We can send him down to the dungeon. But for Jamie, you know, we're the queen's, queen mother's brother. It's a little bit more posh. Yeah, it's still bars on the windows, yeah. But because um, otherwise he'd escape. It's but like but it is a much nicer. I don't think he was going to escape. Much nicer treatment. And I feel like that just seeing that room and how much nicer it was uh, than Bronn's cell or even especially the black cell. <laughs> it didn't even cells. look like a jail cell. No. no. I mean, it was, but it, it didn't really. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. people pay boatloads of money, money for that, to that stay kind there. of river out there. <laughs> <laughs> like, can I just stay here uh, for a night? But it is really interesting to wonder what will happen now because Jamie was sent on this mission by Cersei to bring Marcella back, and he can't even use her as a means of bringing her back to King's Landing now because she's not in power. And Go east, my friend. What Tommen and his position are going to look like heading into next episode. So, even if he says by the edict of King Tommen, I must bring Marcella back, King Tommen may not mean anything yeah. by next episode. So, uh, man, it's almost the chips like are falling. Jamie's even better off in Dorne. He should stay he there, hook up with the Sand Snake or two. People in the east or in Dorne should just stay where they're at. Plenty of wine, plenty of women. Settle down, become farmers. Lady Olenna says you can smell the ship from five miles away. Let's just I know. stay away from King's, King's Landing. Landing yeah, for just now. stay away. Stay away. Uh, it's not this safe. is cool. So we're. Ugh, I I I can't help but think about the future. This has me because they're there. Like they this whole season they've been on a quest and they're there. And so we've had like a the conversation with them. So now we think about the future of Jamie and Bronn. And for for starters, Jamie's got his situation, and he's left in sort of a, a precarious back and forth of what do I do from here. But for Braun, we we move to his his jailing directly across from the three sand snakes that we've met, mm. and we get direct references to his wound, which was pretty on the nose. But I think that for someone that has a poison blade, that's probably what they would say if at some point Braun is still <laughs> singing merrily and not not reacting at all. So it took some hypnotism. Uh, in Bronn's favor to, I guess, work him into the right uh, blood flow and state of mind for it to really take effect, and it did take effect. And guys, I gotta say, no matter what position you're in, a poisoness, poisoner, whatever you would call someone who poisons someone, uh, probably shouldn't drink their vial that they throw to you. I sincerely hope with all of the vigor that is inside of me, I know that this is a fictional character, but I'm a very, very large fan of Bronn. In this series, both in the books and the show, everyone that's listening mm-hmm. knows this. I hope with everything that is inside of me that that was a true cure and that he will be fine. Because if he's uh, gone yeah. from the show at any point, he will be missed. I want to see no, him in the final battle throwing quips like the guitar guy from Mad Max. Like, leave him in there. We need him <laughs> just for a little bit of release from all the tension. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I feel you. I feel the same way uh, regarding the antidote, supposed antidote. Um, I wrote in the notes, oh, crisis averted because for me i was just thinking you know i was wondering how that was going to play out with the poison blade we were smart enough to catch on uh it came to fruition we we weren't even though we've been forced to wait for episodes and episodes and episodes to see even a little bit of Dorne at a time uh they addressed that pretty quickly so i think they know where our hearts are at uh regarding Bronn. 
um, in particular. And, and I, I just have to really hand it to the trio of sand snakes in this for, for having, you know, those sort of, their characters were, were pretty well defined, um, the way that their sisters interacted with one one another and, and sort of not just rolled their eyes when tight, when Tyeen began, you know, sort of doing her thing. Um, it just really that felt more uh, like what we're used to seeing uh, in terms of you know just characters interacting with one another, and it yeah. it felt a lot more uh, natural. There was no fighting, is what you're saying. Well, and the fighting is uh, okay, but no I felt grandstanding, like it was, you know, perhaps it was powerful to see them in a scene with a character that we enjoy, and I don't think that that Jerome Flynn's presence made them more impactful. I just think that it was the way that it was captured with the technical side, the actual filming, but also with how it wasn't necessarily dialogue driven. We got a lot of, of character emotion and I thought that the use of nudity was very, very strong and Mm -hmm. that it paints that these are ruthless individuals. And that was cool because they are, and they shouldn't be captured as, as friendly little girls because they're not from what I've gathered from just all of my friends that are, that are, are hardcore book readers and they're big fans of these people like you badass use your sexuality to your That's advantage Dorn. you should i would if i That's could Dorn. sex kills like, <laughs> hell i do <laughs> <laughs> um no i mean tyene had all of the power in that scene and you know in in averting uh his eyes in basically providing him with the end i mean she plays nice by giving him the antidote i don't quite know but i'm more enthralled with her character as a result of the the play that she made and i'm not talking because of the nudity but the way that she kind of made him ask for it the the way she made him grandify her about who's who's the most beautiful girl was you know you are he can't even mutter the words because he's dying Mm -hmm. and she gives him the antidote it's like okay you better not drop this and he doesn't like it's it's really it was it was just such a strong moment. Reminded me a bit of Oberyn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there I saw Oberyn in these girls. Finally, that's true. But Micah, are these the sand snakes that you know? I, I think they're a mix of what we know in the books, but also just what character traits the that the actresses are bringing to them, or have been written in by the showrunners. And and to me, I I, I finally saw a side of them that I had been hoping to see for a while. And and that was them being truly themselves as opposed to just being these followers of Alaria that we'd seen for their appearances in the two episodes that we saw them. And I really liked the interaction between them and Bronn. I thought that Tyeen did a great job really playing with Bronn's mind and probably Mm -hmm. other parts of his body. Uh, but <laughs> repeatedly told to <laughs> check his wound and in not those words specifically, but she keeps asking him, how's your arm? How's your arm? Hey. How's your how's arm? How's it feeling? How's your arm? Tell your father. Bron, I'm concerned about your arm. Hint, that was so you know, over. Him. That was should, cool. Uh, <laughs> be checking out your arm a little bit. I think the fact that he does check it out maybe makes the poison work better. I don't know. Something about the power of suggestion. Mm-hmm. But it was cool. Mentioned that she got the poison from a shy, um, maybe yeah. it's part of Melisandre's bloodline. I don't know. And uh, no, I don't. I don't but even want to know. I'm I'm happy to at least have gotten some resolution there, but I was concerned, like Zach was, that that actually is some sort of antidote and not something that you know five minutes later he's going to drop dead on the floor. Yeah. After convulsing, because it was actually far worse than the poison that they put in there. 
That's what he I'm cured thinking. The, this episode of Game of Thrones is rated PG blurriness <laughs> that he was having um, <laughs> right. earlier. But, uh, you know, I, I, it might be a temporary solution. I'd like to think that it was a cure because I like the idea of uh, poisons and antidotes coming in necklaces. That's just kind of a cool way to carry them around. Not bad. I have nothing else to say about that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, but th- from the moment that that scene was established with him singing, you could hear his voice echoing down the corridor in the jail and then switching to the view of the sand snakes just kind of looking at him like, we're we're here, you're here. And he's singing to him. We busted up laughing, the people I was watching with. It's just, it's a wonderful intro, allowing the, the show to put them in a position of, well, I mean, it just they, they treated them. I guess maybe that was the solution all along, is to treat them with a little bit of lighter. I, I, I see that. That's 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 cool, and it's great that the Game of Thrones has been historically so great with integrating humor in the right moments because the themes are very very heavy. Think about what we saw the last episode. Think of all the murder we've seen and how heavy that that is over the course of five seasons. But you know, giving us these moments, especially with a character like Bronn being all the way south, just being a fish out of water in so many sense senses meeting people like he's meeting and now singing to them it's just cool that it was written in that way and that we, we've made it here so yeah i agree that's very fun yeah like i said you know to answer your question part of them reminds me of the sand snakes from the book but at the same time i don't recall the sand snakes wanting to harm marcella in any of their plans to actually avenge oberon so that's a bit of a twist from what we know uh from the books and obviously we've mentioned in the past that Alaria is really taking the place of another in the Martell family. So uh, it's it was just good to see them, especially Tyene, uh, in this particular uh, episode demonstrate a little bit more of their personality, of you know their characteristics, and to really show what has made them successful in their lives uh, in, in Dorne. <sighs> Bron, at least for the time being, is healthy, uh, as far as we know. And, Thank you. and personally, Good. I could not take it if we lost both Eamon and Bron in the same episode. Oh, Why do you do this to yeah. me? You have to remind me about this. <laughs> this I thought we were going to make it all further in the episode, at least toward the end, or maybe even revisit it on our follow-up episode. And speaking about now, I'm depressed. How am I gonna? How am I gonna function, Micah? I don't know. It, it was Thanks such a Amen. sad scene because it's a character that we've been with really <sighs> since close to the beginning of season one. And mm. he has made well over 100 years. And mm. in season five now, he, you know, look, I'm going to give the guy credit. He made it more than halfway through season five, which is probably <laughs> longer than anybody would have given him credit for. More than and Ned Stark. Could I think say. why it, it it really hurts us a lot is because with everything that we see in this series, all the different types of ways that people die, I don't know that we've seen somebody pass away from old age. Uh and I'm sure listeners out there can correct me. Gosh. It's just You're right. It, it's I think that's why it impacts us. I'd like to think that Zaro is probably getting there at some point. <laughs> yeah, well, starvation. Uh, starvation, or, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would love Zaro to like crawl out of the vault having dug a, a, a tunnel out or whatever um, with just this long flowy beard from the, the age. But it, it was just such a, a tender scene um, with him and Sam and Gilly and little Sam 
and when he's hearing the baby and and oh. you know, he likens it back to egg and uh. egg laugh like that. <laughs> okay, let's all grab a box of tissues. I'm just gonna put in music. All right, everyone, we'll come back in a moment. Just please take a moment. Brother who would become king. Yes, serve a total total service to those who've fine I'm sure read even further than we have into the tales of Duncan Egg. Well he's really our last chance, Eric, to to get these like actual references outside of a book. I know we got that Sir Duncan the Tall last season, last year. But he's really our last yeah. chance. And and if he's dying in this episode, way to way to give it to us. It didn't have to happen. Casual viewers aren't going to appreciate egg being said out loud. Oh my god, egg laughed like that. Egg on One of the first egg. things I remember. That was, it, it was. He was a jolly fellow, like this. It one. was beautiful. It was beautiful, and I, I'm, I'm really concerned. I mean, if he, uh, I'm, I'm wondering really what was going on regarding the, uh, would we call it, dementia, of, uh, of, of his basically his vision of being that, greeted oh, by yes. egg. Yeah, being greeted by Egg once again. I mean, Egg, I dreamt that I was old. You know, kind of being his last words are to his family, who he's being reunited with. What a wonderful view of the afterlife. Like, what a wonderful view of death. Like, when you mention, you know, being able to die of old age in this world, it's crazy. I didn't know that was possible. That is beautiful. That he hearkened back to his roots. And and Sam's eulogy, you know, referencing that he was this great Targaryen. It, it all came together. Egg mother's looking for you. It's just, it was, it was almost, <laughs> it was almost innocent in the face of all of the the hardship that we've seen. And if you think about the long life of the this particular Targaryen and the man that he could have been, the king and the great story that he could have been, spending his life at the wall serving the realm, and to end it with someone that loves him as much as he. Did I thought that it was just you know by the way of George R. R. Martin crafting the story and, and a story that gives us so many things leaves us wanting for so many things that we never have this sweet moment with Sam with Gilly with her baby and all that they've gone through and all that Eamon has gone through it was just it was poetic to have them together and Sam saying that he didn't want to leave him it's just you know can't help but just tug on your heartstrings a little bit. How about that advice? Get him south before it's yeah. too late regarding the baby. I mean, what yeah. what does Eamon know about I mean, winter's about coming. What's coming? Yeah, I mean, no, yeah, that's what he knows. But does he know more than that? I does mean, he know what they do to babies? Yeah, I guess. I don't know. We know. Yeah. Well, we know, yeah. <laughs> he, he feels a real protection over this child, which who laughed like his brother did. Now I want to, I know we're reading the, the Tales of Duncan Egg, but now I want to get some real uh, Eamon Aegon interaction I know. before I hope goes, that you know? Yeah, in the latter book, I hope that it is. They, the, they the need to have a scene or a moment, because uh, Eamon, I guess, is at the Citadel or whatever. But it, It's important, too, that really the last interaction that we saw 
between Eamon and John was Eamon really empowering John and telling him to kill the boy, become a man and and take over the night's watch and be the Lord commander that you should be, not the one that people want you to be. And we see a lot of that uh, when the episode opens between John and Thorne and Thorne advising him. And John knows probably deep down that Thorne has a really good point, but He's got to make a hard decision, and he does it anyway. With Tormund, absolutely, and to me, it would be really uh, more of a special moment if you had somebody like Eamon talking to his great, 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 whatever John would be, uh, and if and there can. the Targaryen line, <laughs> yeah, is 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 still strong in John. Yeah. And like the end when Yoda died in Jedi, <laughs> that moment. Well, in, I don't think mo- Yoda and Luke were related. <laughs> anyway. no, that, that, no, that moment. Well, that moment I in see Empire some where, especially these days, <laughs> there is another Skywalker. Um, and and then <laughs> just also yeah. that one of Aemon's last defining yeah. moments was <laughs> casting the deciding vote in making John Lord Commander. Yeah, awesome one. He's yeah. his all of his last actions. He's he's a life well lived. I when we were. Preparing to record this episode, I, I thought that we'd spend the first collection of minutes. I know we got pulled off in other topics because that's mm-hmm. how this show goes. We just kind of speak, especially on this first follow-up. But I thought I figured that we would have such a, a large moment for Eamon, but I'm glad that we're getting into it to it now because it's just I don't know. It's it's got to be important to the story that he's gone. But it was really sad to see him go because, like I said, he was such a connection to the old world. And he was yeah. really the last person that had this ability to make those kinds of conclusions. But he went out doing what he does best, uh, which is shaping the destiny of the realm in a small way that could have large echoes and implications. Mm-hmm. Like Sam says, he saw a dozen Lord Commanders during his years of service. And he has the blood of the dragon. With his death, uh, we really look towards the future. And I, I am thinking the immediate future, too, with John's departure. I mean, pretty much I, I love how many men were seen just glaring at John or, you know, uneasy following him. And can I, can I just say, I mean, and, and Thorne, one kid <laughs> and that yes. kid, uh, Ollie. Thorn, Thorn, uh, I don't know about Ollie, man. Thorn was like, Lord commander, it is my duty to point out that this is reckless, foolhardy and an intro to all the men who died fighting for us and all this <laughs> wonderful, like, but can I just say like, for all the people who glared him out of Castle Black, uh, did it not seem that the Night's Watch just ha- like slightly has a little bit more of their shit together than they have before? Oh, dude, so much, so like, much. Like the mutineers, like we've seen so much of the Night's Watch in this series. If you go back and watch, but like, there's something about the Watch now, and it's it might be that they're united and like ready for another mutiny. Something about that that look that Thorn gave you. Me- I, I assume you're meant to think that maybe they'll mutiny, but. I just I don't think that's the case. I think they're they're gonna go along uneasily with this. And if John can actually make that trade or make that c- deal, I guess with the Wildlings, whatever he's trying to do, maybe his men will surprise us all and support him. But they're they're more unified, I guess, even in their hatred of the Lord Commander. They're more unified than we've ever seen them be unified about anything. But we're not allowed to feel that comfortable. And that was one yeah. of the great things this episode did with the encounter with Gilly. We got this really oh, nice gosh. moment with Thorn and John and to see it all come full full circle and to have Thorn address him as Lord Commander with such respect uh, is just 
as as a fan of all that's happened since the first season, he was training and getting hit and like the you know Mike, you know <laughs> bastard. And... You know he still didn't learn to defend himself all that much better. That's true, but it's 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 all together, and he has his his role now, and it feels different. But then we go into a darkened sort of corridor hallway room inside of the the chambers of Castle Black, and mm. we immediately are are stuck with the reality that the Lord Commander is gone, and this. These are the kinds of people that are here. Uh, Stannis made a great reference toward it in uh, yeah, a previous episode. And, yeah, and this almost happened. And I was incredibly... I, I, I felt like getting violent as well I was watching this. I was like, this is bullshit. Because Gilly is a is a good good lady. She's been through so she much. She is protected. She yes. is our protection All right? as viewers. And well, especially this, after the last episode. Not only that, happen. but just in general. I mean, yes, but... Oh, man, I was pissed. Pissed off. And uh, Sam tried. For the love of God, he tried. But when Ghost came out, Strike was out chilling outside on the balcony. And I was like, get over here, Strike. I had him come up on the couch beside me. And I put my arm around him. And I was like, you are a good boy, aren't you? (laughs) Did he he wag his tail? Does he do that? He does. He wags his tail quite often. He's asleep right now. But if he were awake, he would say, Ghost, you kicked all of the asses and made us all very proud. I love you, Ghost. I have a theory, like, Sam, and it was sad to watch, he, he really just was getting his ass kicked, probably broke a few ribs. I which, thought they were going to kill him at one point. It was oh. bad. The number of blows to his face, yeah. the number of blows, it was, and the kicks to the gut, it it could have killed him, let's just say that. It could have could have been a lot worse than it turned out to be, but Ghost, I mean, Sam stands up in sort of a blind rage, like, the, this. he's like, all right, mm-hmm. if I'm really going to be this close to death, I better yeah. have some bodies to, to like, show for yeah, it. He's like, I yeah, killed I'm a White Walker, down. I killed yeah. a thing. Well, it's a great line. I'll I mean, take like, my chances he, with you assholes. Yeah, like, what a, what a sparring, what fighting words were that. But I had a theory I wanted to share with you guys. Because, of course, Ghost showed up then. I have a theory that it's actually Ghost warging into Sam when he gets back up. <laughs> you know, kind of like, this oh, is my animal rage kind of thing. I don't know, it's kind of cool because they just, they see Ghost and they run off. But what was Ghost doing moments before? You know, and he, how do where how do he get away? Ghost is just roaming the, the lands, so. Yeah, it, it, it was um, ironic that Thorn, as Eamon's body is burning, turned to Sam and said that, his friends here are getting fewer and fewer. What but an asshole. It was man's best <laughs> friend true, though. that ends up coming and saving Sam's backside. And I actually thought for a moment, because I said to myself, there's no way that Sam's going to be defeated here. Who is going to come in and save the day? And for a moment, I actually thought Thorne might be the one Me to too. do it. Me too, Sam. But yeah. It was Ghost. And when you were up. thinking that it might be Thorne, did you think these men would get to live for it? Do you think any of them would have ended up dead if Thorne just came I don't in think and was dead? Like, but I, I'm not sure dead. he would have taken some punishment out on them. Yeah, they do that get away scot free cool. from what we from what we can tell. Well, I mean, yeah. as much as they can, John is gone, and he is a you know they are brothers. Soiled undergarments, maybe that was rough, and I'm not sure what that paints for what's because I know we're concerned with with what John is doing, heading toward Hard Home with Tormund and some beautiful horses, but. I don't know what's going to happen to Castle Black now. I guess it's nice to know that Ghost yeah. is still there. But I, I care about more than just Sam and Gilly and the baby. I care about their institution and how how yeah. well Thorne's going to be able to hold it together. So I think this scene was yeah. I, I think this scene was meant to make us feel this way though, like unsure. Which damn it, right? Like the wall isn't exactly and uncomfortable. Peas and carrots when John is gone. The wall itself is still almost constantly 
doomed to be in turmoil. Eamon's death uh, isn't necessarily different in the books, but the circumstances surrounding it and, and the location are. So uh, I understand, though, why they did it here, but uh, I won't say anything else. I'll just... Yeah, I'll I mean, whatever. <laughs> Interesting. Well, Sam gave John some dragon glass. I want to mention that. Yeah. Uh, Yep, he did give him some dragon glass, and uh, hopefully he won't need this. dragon glass he used on the White Walker, I believe, is what he said. Mm. Which, I'm not sure if that's the case. It might have shattered. All right, I'm not an encyclopedia, Britannica, or... Well, can we also just mention that Sam got laid for his efforts? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, she's probably crushing a few of his broken ribs, but he doesn't care. He cared. <laughs> <laughs> what does he say? He says, my word. Or uh, oh, my. Oh, he my. Says, oh, oh. Oh my! I guess my word would have been a tad less sexier in the moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, but oh, oh, oh my! <laughs> yeah, so high fives to Samuel Tarly. You broke your vows in the best way, pal. I think she loves you back, and, and that's the only way to do it. Take advice from your buddy John. So now she met two little Sams. No, no. So <laughs> oh my God! I wonder where little Sam was in the. <laughs> and this was the greatest sex scene in the series so far. Fully clothed, mind you. Still hot. Yep. Might have been because of the furs, but yeah, pretty bad. Got to keep warm somehow. Yeah, it's cold, cold up there on the wall. It's drafty. You know what their theme song is? Wildling. Uh-huh. Bum, 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 That's what they turned on to set the moon. This is John singing. He's very good. Oh man, <laughs> that's funny. Every time we do it, every you time you gotta put on your brother. John's... You gotta put John's voice singing. <laughs> yeah, they just have this passage, this audio book of the. Chapter where he climbs the wall from Sword of Swords. I love it. Roy Dutchess is wonderful. But no, but John's got his work cut out for him, as does everybody, really. I mean, I think there's so much happening now with each character being spurred to action. Tommen even, you know, in this episode, was seemed to be more active, actively uh, upset mm. about, his, uh, about his issue. And uh, I'm not quite sure which one of these characters that are very, very active, are, are going to receive my own for the episode. Yeah, we've got our work cut out for us for this one. I know that there are many other topics that I'm literally foaming at the mouth, not literally, you don't know that, to but discuss. <laughs> and we will discuss those things as the week progresses. But now, mm-hmm. fellas, what are we supposed to do? Oh, gosh. We're supposed to find one moment in that epic episode this morass deliver our owns for you know i have decided <laughs> on mine uh what mine will be and i'm quite proud of it okay um there's a line uh, of course this the dialogue in this episode was uh extremely tight very very enjoyable and mine will have to go to the line between lady elena and the high sparrow after discussing at length why they do not kneel, <laughs> after talking about how neither of them is going to kneel or bow to the other, I believe it starts with the high septon saying, uh, when he gets up, for me, it's the knees. <laughs> for you, and she says, the hips. Yeah. And they dr- they've just dropped all the pretense that they were just going through about how proud they are or about how devoted they are. And, and really, they were just admitting that they were just both really too old for that shit. So I, I, I do applaud that um, very much. So thank you, well older actor and actress, for 
being able to to muse about that. That was a very tender moment between two would-be rivals. Well done. On Twitter, I gave my own to Peter Bellish for being the ultimate puppet master. Mm, Uh, You had a nice image to accompany that, didn't you? I did. I I saw that. (laughs) (laughs) You've been in MS Paint all day working on that. The internet is an amazing place. So many things to It truly is. (laughs) Uh, But I would give an honorary own to... Mord's brother, Nord, yes, who hacked away the chains from Tyrion's hands. That was amazing. So he could go meet Daenerys Targaryen. I know we'll talk about that more in the next episode, but yeah. that was just such a funny moment. It it completely reminded me of Mord, and uh, it was well done. <laughs> a clean strike. Yeah. No gold. <laughs> Micah, I could literally spend the next 10 minutes giving honorary owns in this episode. Not to be too intrinsic, but I feel like my notes application deserves some owns for all the spell like corrections it's done. <laughs> <laughs> taking notes, here's here's a good one. You're losing all your friends, Barley. <laughs> I'm gonna draw uh, a picture of that. Uh, Con Drogo, Nora yep. Mormont, stuff like that. Um, th- that's always fun. I think she's written some some romance novels. Great, great music as well. Uh, this is hard. This is hard. Pardon me once to give my own to Jorah Mormont for the excellent artistry in the lower pit, but I will save that and further discussion for our follow-up episode this week. Uh, could go to Daenerys for looking so shining during those scenes as well. Uh, that was very well done by the creators of the show. Yeah. Um, could be to Dollar Said Stern Face as he rode off with John to the unspeakable unknown. I could go to Aemon for all the mentions of Aegon. Which is what I would like to do, but I won't. I won't. You know, I could go to Ramsey for for flaying the North Remembers Lady. Jeez. Jesus, that was. He took awful. care of that quickly. No, my own will go to the obvious answer, which is Ghost, our friendly dire wolf, swooping in oh. and taking care of the situation that Sam would not have been able to take, take care of properly. I think he was not quite fitted for that. And for that, I thank you, Ghost. I appreciate Gilly and her baby and all the things that she's done for our friend Sam. And I appreciate you for being the companion you have been to John and for staying behind and not complaining and keeping an eye Somebody's on things. Somebody's got to watch after stand. Sam. So there it is. Bang. My Bang. Own. Those are our owns. But, of course, we would love to hear what your owns are. This is the point of the show where we tell you exactly how you can send us your owns. And a it number is. of you already have on oh, Twitter. Man. They're they have been pouring in. in, as they do every Sunday night, and uh, you can just tweet at us at Game of Owns, or uh, head on over to Facebook to scroll upon our wall at facebook.com slash Game of Owns, or if you want to write us a little bit lengthier note, you can do so by emailing the show at contact at gameofowns.com. Draw a picture of your own. Take a picture of it. Tag us on Instagram. <laughs> Take a picture of uh, Samuel Barley. Yeah. First of his grain. Oh my that. god. Somebody needs to do that. <laughs> That's what we do. You're losing your friends. Thank Barley. you for listening. We make memes. <laughs> really I swear to I told to you that story, right? <laughs> Which one? Memes? Uh, I was at some social media night somewhere and those the person things. referred to it as a meme. You were like, What are you oh, doing no. here? <laughs> You're good at your job. Are you here to network? (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, boy. So, yeah, thank you for sending in your owns and for communicating with us. This Sunday night has been exciting. I've just been just checking it as the episode went on. It's just it's been a lot of fun. And you know who you are. And if you're not quite yeah. in the midst of that, you're just a casual listener of the show, you're still involved. You're still important to us. Your ears are valuable. valuable because the I, I'd say that the just the initial size of our audience that has been building over the years has just made it accessible for so many more people that tend to gravitate towards things that people say are, are good or people say are enjoyable. And uh, all of your enthusiasm, reviews, kind words, and again, just sheer stats and participation has led a lot of those people to find us, especially this year. And it just grows as each year progresses. And uh, mm-hmm. would like to thank you from the bottom of our hearts for being a part of something that we are, we are rather fond of and rather proud of being a part of. So thank you. Yeah. And uh, we always enjoy hearing from those who listen for the first time or sending in their first time owns. And many times we hear about that over on iTunes where listeners can feel free to rate and review the show. Nothing less than fewer, nothing fewer (laughs) than five stars is acceptable in the month of May during season five. And uh, we did read a few reviews that we got recently on our last episode, and uh, we really appreciate the feedback. And as Zach mentioned, you know, a lot of times there are people who are looking to uh, join our community and uh, listen to a podcast to accompany their watching of Game of Thrones, and we want to be that podcast. So, uh, we appreciate all of our listeners who go over to iTunes and leave their feedback. And we, of course, will share some of those on an upcoming episode. So thank you. For all of the references to Aegon in this episode, and for those of you who are less than casual viewers, or less than casual fewer. listeners, few, <laughs> <laughs> less uh, fewer than casual listeners end. to our show. I don't know. If yes. It'll never end. That's true. It works. Um, you'll know that uh, over on Patreon, we have started going through the tales of Dunk and Egg. And these are the stories, the origin stories set 100 years before current events where people like Egg or Aegon are real characters. And in fact, we're right at the moment in the book in the beginning of The Hedge Knight where we're about to be introduced to Aegon in his true form. So um, if you'll notice over on our Patreon, we're dropping two blocks of that book this week of our read-through of The Hedge Knight and so much more is available and awaits you over on our Patreon. If you are a new subscriber, you don't know quite what that is, please go and check it out over at patreon.com slash goo. You'll find an informative video, lots of information over there, and uh, doing so, becoming a, a member of our Patreon, or even a member, dare I say, of our small council, of which we have a few. That is the way that you can really support us and support our show. We do the Patreon so that we also do not have to include ads uh, at the beginning, ends of our shows, no sponsor no buys. No, yeah, no ads. No ads. Kill the also ads. no gold because of that. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we're able to continue to make uh, the things that we make and continue growing and planning new events and new basically ideas for, for everything. My dog is looking at me. He has directed me to tell you that he appreciates your support in any way, shape, or form imaginable. That includes listening to this podcast, sharing it with your friends. It's important to spread the L-O-V-E as we try to do on this show. So thank you. 
Later in the week, we will be dropping our interview with Daenerys and Targaryens, which I believe is the premier Westerock band of this current age. And that's going to be a very, very fun episode. It was recorded directly following a Game of Thrones event last Sunday in Denver, Colorado, which we had a nice live podcast at. Things were mentioned, laughs were shared, music was strung, and it was a good time. So that will drop later in the week. Also, we will be having our follow-up episode. I feel very content with what we've made tonight, and I hope that you all do as well. It's been a a rather fun evening with a great episode, and I'm just grateful to be sharing it with you fellas. How do you feel? I feel very zen right now. Zen like the one sand snake in this episode who didn't have a line. (laughs) She was very zen. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I had a great time doing this episode. I felt like the episode overall... The one that we watched, and this was mentioned at the top of the show, was just jam-packed from start to finish. So much to talk about. I know there's plenty more to talk about later on in the week. We got Tyrion, mm. we have Daenerys, we have Jorah, all in one location, which is pretty Jeez. awesome. There God. was a auction <laughs> that was amazing when Tyrion just that was, was being Tyrion and didn't want to get separated from Jorah. Their bromance remains strong. I don't care what anybody says. Yes. And of course, we're, we're a team. Going. So plenty more to get to. I can't wait. Thrones is in full swing. We only got three more episodes to go, which is crazy. Get excited. Join us. Tell your friends. Tell your fathers that we're here. Oh, oh my. <laughs>